Hi, I would like to welcome M.R. Rangaswamy here to the Global Innovation 2030 Digital Summit. He's a software executive, investor, entrepreneur, corporate eco-strategy expert, community builder, and philanthropist. He is also the co-founder of the Sandhill Group, one of the earliest angel investment firms, and in 2007 founded the Corporate Eco Forum. Welcome, M.R. Thank you for having me, Cooper. Yes, we're so honored to have you here. Uh, let me get right into it. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your background, both professional, professionally and personally? Yeah, so I grew up in India, came to the United States uh, when I was 21 years old to study. And then it's a classic story of working here, getting my immigration and green card, marrying a U.S. person, uh, my wife, uh, and also then getting a citizenship uh, and going to work. Uh, I accidentally then went to uh, Silicon Valley. I called myself the accidental tourist. <laughs> I ended up in Silicon Valley in 1982 when Apple was a, a tiny company, Oracle was a million dollar entity and so forth, and was able to participate in the creation of, uh, uh, of Silicon Valley itself for and I've been here 30, 38 years now. So that's my background. I've worked in the tech industry and then went on to become an angel investor. But my real passion uh, is to build networks that make an impact. And uh, we can cover that a little bit later. That's, that's a brief story about myself. I mean, you've truly surpassed uh, kind of the American dream. That's, that's really inspiring. Uh, you mentioned that you kind of helped found Silicon Valley and one of the first angel investment firms, Sand Hill Group. Can you tell us how you got started in that and why? Uh, yeah, I uh, had uh, a decision to make uh, when I was reaching uh, an age to have kids. And I, uh, my wife and I wanted to have children, but I also wanted to be kind of like a stay-at-home dad. Uh, that was the real decision to do this. So I quit corporate life and became an angel investor so I could work out of home and run my own business. That's kind of how I got started. And in 1996, uh, there was no such thing as angel investing. Uh, and so in the early days, the Wall Street Journal was quite intrigued with what I was doing. So they sent a reporter to follow me around for a couple of years, which then resulted in a front page article uh, about angel investment. And that gave me my 15 minutes of fame. Uh, now this is my next 15 minutes of fame here. Uh, but uh, that's what got me on the map. Uh, started by just talking to people I knew in the software ecosystem here and trying to help entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs who had a PowerPoint deck to start new businesses. That's kind of how I started. Really didn't have a path of uh, raising a fund or looking at the returns. I really enjoyed the industry and I wanted to give back in my own way. Wow. And it seems like once you got there, everything started moving so fast. Was it was it hard for you to break into that industry? Uh, well, like I said, I was a pioneer. There was no real industry in 96. Yeah. And so it was one of the ones, early ones who started creating the industry. So it was uh, a, being a pioneer, telling people what you do and so forth. There was not that much competition because there were not that many angel investors. But as time went along, uh, you know, the network grew and grew uh, and was able to to really invest. And those were the glory days looking at it from 96 to 2000. You know, you could have pretty much invested in any company and you would have made money. So it was a good time to get started looking back at it. 
Although yeah. now, you know, it looks so much more difficult. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds incredibly difficult to get into now. If uh, if you could tell our global audience one thing for this digital summit, what should they know about you? Well, I think uh, my passion really is to build networks that make an impact. So I'm always trying to, when I meet people, see if I can add value to them, uh, add value to their network and my network. So that's the one thing you need to know about me is uh, that's that's what I focus on. Brilliant. So we've kind of talked about your time with Sand Hill Group. And in 2007, you co-founded the Corporate Eco Forum. What was that experience like to venture out and start something new? Yeah. So let me step back for a second and talk about building networks to make an impact. I had a crack at that when I was doing Sand Hill, where I brought together 100 CEOs of uh, the leading software companies. And the reason I did that was when I quit corporate life, I had a Rolodex of 4,000 uh, business cards and I didn't know what to do with them. And this was in the mid 90s, right? And you go, there's no LinkedIn, there's no Facebook. How the heck do I keep in touch with people? And one of my friends said, you have to have a party. And I say, wait a minute, uh, what does that mean? He said, a conference. Uh, and that's kind of how I pulled these people together. And in the early days, I decided to do this even at that time as a charitable endeavor. So everybody, including keynotes, would pay us lots of money to come to the conference, to speak and to network, but all the surplus would go to charity. So that's kind of how I got started. And that's why I say networks that make an impact, whether it's uh, philanthropic or whether it's adding value to the network itself in terms of industry issues, how to deal with uh, problems in your own companies. Uh, that's what I mean uh, by networks that make an impact. So that was my first stint was running the enterprise retreat, uh, which I ran at Pebble Beach for 10 years uh, for the leaders in the tech industry. And over time, we gave away over a million and a half dollars to different nonprofits. Uh, and the members themselves who gave the money were also able to advise them, mentor them, give them more money through their corporate philanthropy and so forth. So that was my first network. So in 2007, when I was trying to do something different, and this again, uh, was for my kids. I wanted to be a good role model for them. And I figured at that time, green uh, was was uh, coming up, green tech, clean tech. So I said, hey, why don't I try to do something in that space uh, to help people? Uh, that's kind of how I got involved and in starting the Corporate Eco Forum. We went and talked to about 80 individuals and in Fortune 500 companies to find out what their green strategies were. Uh, and that resulted in the formation of uh, CEF, as we call it. Uh, so it's a membership group of right now 70 of the world's largest companies. These are companies like Amazon and Microsoft uh, and uh, Apple and Disney and UPS and Ford, all the big brand names. And uh, we work with uh, an individual in those companies called the Chief Sustainability Officer uh, to help that individual really share best practices, innovation, ideas, collaborate with other companies. And the membership right now is about $4 trillion in combined revenues. So these companies can move the needle and make a big impact uh, to mitigate climate change, to buy renewable energy and so forth. Wow, yeah, you played a role in, in innovation and in, in, it sounds like all kinds of different sectors. Why do you think that the global goals are so critically important and how do you see innovation playing a role in achieving them? 
Yeah, uh, great question, Cooper. So with the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, that have to be, uh, the world has agreed, all the countries have agreed to implement by 2030 is a big, big challenge for all of us. And uh, these companies uh, are aligned with uh, you know achieving these goals because large corporates have to put their weight behind it as well. It can't just be governments or individual citizens. It has to also include corporations. And so many of them are looking at their own sustainability goals and aligning them with the SDGs. And I know it's a complicated task, but most of them are charging ahead. And it's very important because we got to really make sure everybody gets a job. Everybody has clean water, clean air. And, and so these are very important because corporations can't survive if they don't have customers or if they don't have consumers. So it's also in their self-interest to really make sure that it's a sustainable world for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. What is an example of a cross-sector partnership you created to serve as a model for organizations? Yeah, so uh, in 2012, uh, every 10 years, and I hope in 2022 this happens as well, there's a uh, summit. It's called the Rio Plus Summit. Uh, this was first done in Rio and then has been uh, held again a couple of times. So the Earth Summit, uh, which is held every 10 years, uh, was happening in Rio in 2012. And one of the things that we were trying to accomplish there was to show that natural uh, resources, land, water, forest, all the other natural things around us have value. So many of our customers got together from many different industries to show the value of nature, what it means to have good water, uh, good energy, and good climate, and lakes and streams and everything else. So we pulled together a coalition of 24 of our member companies who we took to Rio at that time to make a commitment to valuing nature. And so that was one of our early collaborations we were able to do with our member companies. Wonderful, wonderful. So moving on kind of from your work at CEF, uh, when you decided to venture out to another organization, Indiaspora, can you tell our audience what your work was like there and what your mission was? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a couple of things, like I said, I'm always intrigued uh, by building a network. But also when I go into it, I make a 10-year commitment at least because these networks take time to build, to expand, for people to trust each other and so forth. Uh, so it's not something I take lightly. Uh, as I look at these networks, the other big thing is if I'm giving a 10-year commitment, I look for impact as well. So any of these networks really you know, have to show at some point in time tangible impact. Like in the corporate eco-forum space, like I said, valuing nature, natural capital was one of our early uh, objectives. Now we're working on all kinds of other collaborative projects that today uh, are being released and I can't name them at this point. But these are kinds of things that we get involved with to show that there's an impact. So in uh, 2012, when I was looking at the Indian American community uh, and trying to create this organization called Indiaspora, uh, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So anytime I think of a new idea, I socialize it. I go talk to a lot of people in that ecosystem. So in the case of Indiaspora, I went and talked to over 100 leaders in our community, doctors, lawyers, tech folks, VCs, academics, you name it every kind of individual in our community I talked to, uh, to form this. And the 
uh, thing that came out of talking to people was we needed an organization that really would uh, do many things for our community. Again, uh, just to give you a snapshot, the Indian American community is about 1% of the population of the U.S. Uh, but we are the, the most uh, you know, rich community. We make $110,000 on average per person. So it's a very affluent community. But what we found was the community didn't have enough influence, wasn't being projected uh, to do work around philanthropy and so forth. So we formed this organization to do three things at that point. One was to get more politically engaged. We found that our community, even though it was 1% of the population, we had no representation in Congress. So one of the early aspirations was that we should at least have five people in Congress of Indian origin. So we started that in two election cycles, our whole network, you know, Indiaspora can't give money or endorse anyone, it's a nonprofit, but the entire network wrote hundreds of thousands of dollars in checks to anybody with an Indian name. And within two election cycles, we had a big gala, an Indiaspora gala in Washington, DC, to now say that we are 1% of Congress. So that was one of the early aspirations for the group was to really get politically engaged. Uh, we also got involved in community issues, for example, the U.S. Postal Service has stamps for Christmas, as you know, on Hanukkah and Eid and all the other big religious holidays. But it didn't have one for the biggest Indian religious holiday called Diwali, which is celebrated by over a billion people. So we mounted a major campaign with the USPS to get a stamp. And it was a long effort. You know, working in Washington to get these things is not easy to do, as uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so became a lobbyist uh, to try and get a staff introducing legislation in the House and Senate, uh, getting the community to write 20,000 letters to the Postmaster General. And so after two years, we were happy that in 2016, we got a stamp. Now, it might look like a symbolic thing, but for a community, that means we've become mainstream in this country. Indian Americans are part of the mainstream community, right? So that was another effort. Now, more recently, over the past five years, we've been working on philanthropy. Because one of the things, like I mentioned, we are a very affluent community. We do give back, but a lot of this giving is not formalized. A lot of this giving is not publicized. And so people really don't know what this rich community is doing. So one of the things we have done is to really look at what people are giving, encourage them to give more. We even have a program called Cello Give, which is an annual uh, kind of a giving effort like Giving Tuesday for the community to give back to different organizations and so forth. Uh, so Indian Americans have given a lot, for example, to education. We value that a lot. Uh, the Indian community has given over a billion dollars to colleges and universities in the U.S. in the past 20 years, for wow. example, uh, which is a big, big number. So we are doing a lot, but we need to tell people about it to encourage more people to do that. Uh, more recently, we have a program called Cello Give, like I mentioned, around the COVID crisis. We raised in the last month over a million dollars to feed people through the food bank system in the US and to feed migrant workers in India. So again, we get involved in really getting the community to do more, amplifying the work we do. And that's what Indiaspora is all about, is as a community, we can do greater than one individual. Yeah, and I see the collaboration in that, this 1% uh, working outside that and with everybody. I, I think that's really inspiring. That's amazing. Um, and so mentioned previously, you talked about your career, your journey so far. If you could go back in time uh, to say 1997, when you first first broke into the industry, what would you give, what kind of advice would you give yourself starting out in your career? 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the main, main points I, I would belabor is everybody needs a mentor. Uh, even I have a mentor. It's not like I don't need help. Uh, so one of the things I would encourage everybody to do when they're starting their career or starting their company is to make sure you have a good mentor or mentors. That's one. Second is surround yourself with good advisors. Uh, they're yeah. different than mentors. So these would be industry experts, people who have done it before in your profession. So really get together a good group of advisory board people as well. So those are a couple of things that I wish I could have done even earlier in my career, because those are things that don't come to you intuitively. You just figure it out later in life and it might be a little late. So I would tell everybody before you get started in your career, in starting a company or becoming an entrepreneur, whatever you do, uh, make sure you have good mentors and good advisors. Well, wow, that's great advice. I'm actually writing that down right now. That's that's brilliant. Uh, so moving on from that, what are three key insights that have potential to help brighten the world? Yeah, I would say one, one of the things uh, I do is uh, help anyone you can uh, without any quid pro quo. Uh, that's been one of my principles forever is if someone comes to you for help and you can help them just do it. And I think it's, it's uh, something that I've taken to heart over time. And it's one of my values uh, at this point. So just even a little bit, you know, uh, can go a long way if you help, uh, help someone else. Uh, I think the second thing I would do is really build philanthropy into your life plan. Uh, like I said, when I started my first conference in 1997, it was for charity right from day one, as opposed to for profit. So again, build and bake in your giving early in your career. Uh, one of my billionaire friends, he said his biggest regret is not having become a philanthropist earlier. This is someone who has signed the Gates giving pledge, uh, being remorseful and saying, I wish I'd done it not at 60, but when I was 30. Uh, you know, so really build philanthropy into everything you do. And I would say uh, the third thing is uh, just, you know, uh, uh, you know, wake up every day uh, trying to make an impact. You know, wake up and say, what am I going to do? The one thing I'm going to do today that moves the world forward. You know, just continually think of that as well. Wow, that's that's amazing to hear. That's I'm speechless. That's really uh, inspiring, truly. Um, I've, I'm so glad to have you here and we're honored. Is there any way that you'd like to reach out to our audience and uh, plug anything you're doing or let them know what you're doing? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I can say, look at a couple of things. If you're in the tech industry, uh, our website, it's a community website called sandhill.com, S-A-N-D-H-I-L-L, -L, which is the most important uh, road in Silicon Valley that is full of venture capitalists who fund and change the world with uh, new organizations, new companies. Uh, so check that out. And we have a newsletter there as well for people who want to be entrepreneurs. Uh, the second website is EcoForum, E-C-O-F-O-R-U-M, EcoForum.com. This will give you a feel into what large corporations are doing around climate change, sustainability, and all the other factors to make this world a better place. And then finally, in diaspora, that's India, I-N-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A, in diaspora.org. Uh, and that's a website 
that gives you all the information about Indian Americans and, and how Indian Americans are doing things uh, for the betterment of society and so forth. So those are just three of our websites to look at. They all have newsletters and such, but also, you know, my Twitter handle if, is uh, Mr. Sandhill, MR Sandhill, uh, if you want to check that out uh, as well. But uh, would love to uh, stay in touch with the audience. I think you are doing a phenomenal summit and I really wish everybody a great success. Imar Rangaswamy from Ideogen and myself, uh, we, we thank you for being here and uh, it was wonderful getting to chat with you today. Thank you so much, Cooper. Thank you.